Welcome to the Parkcast, Episode 26, Poverty Among Families Involved with Child Welfare. The Parkcast series brings evidence-informed child welfare practice to life by highlighting literature reviews from the Particle Archives. This particle outlines the impact of poverty on child welfare-involved families and the challenges and complexities in supporting caregivers and children with low income. The association between poverty and child maltreatment is consistently demonstrated in the literature. However, multiple factors such as poor parental mental health, unemployment, parenting stress, and substance abuse are correlated with an increased risk of both poverty and child maltreatment, which makes determining the causal role of income quite challenging. Neglect, risk factors and indicators. Child neglect is repeatedly identified as the most prevalent form of child maltreatment. Children from families with low incomes are at five times greater risk for abuse and neglect when compared to their upper socioeconomic status peers. In the United States, neglect is the most commonly alleged reason for reports to child welfare services and is the principal category of maltreatment in the national incident studies. Receiving financial assistance from family or friends, use of local food banks, frequent moves, and skipping meals are also predictors of neglect identified in the literature. While some of these factors may represent efforts on behalf of parents to pool resources and provide for their children, these are often measures taken out of desperation, but economic stress is at its peak and neglect is highly likely. Existing literature demonstrates that risk of maltreatment is associated with a number of indicators of economic adversity, including unemployment, single-parent family structure, and welfare receipt. Further, economic hardships such as difficulty paying for housing, food insecurity, utility shutoffs, and material economic stress have demonstrated associations with increased risk of child welfare system involvement. Trockman and colleagues examined data from the 1993 and 1998 Ontario Incident Study of Reported Child Abuse and Neglect. The OIS uses standardized definitions and methods to gather information about child welfare-involved children and families across the province. The authors observed a significant increase in the rate of neglect during this period, particularly in cases reported by professionals. This increase can be the outcome of multiple factors, including growing awareness of child neglect from highly publicized inquests, as well as changes in investigation procedures and reporting processes. Importantly, the observed increase in neglect may also be a byproduct of dwindling supports for families with low income in the province. While the actual numbers of children living in poverty did not change significantly during this time, the depth of the experience of poverty increased. This was a tumultuous time for social services in the province of Ontario, and supports for families with low income were gravely cut, including fewer subsidized housing units, reduced social assistance benefits, and cuts to education and recreation programs. Economic strain and inadequate housing were crucial problems for many of the investigated children. As many as 50% of investigated children lived in families dependent on social assistance. How does economic adversity manifest as abuse or neglect? As described above, the exact mechanism by which poverty increases the likelihood of child abuse and neglect is not known. However, there are a handful of theories most prominent in the literature that bear important influence on prevention and intervention efforts with families with low income. Housing One explanation of how economic adversity manifests itself as neglect is that poverty may compromise a caregiver's ability to provide for the child's basic necessities, such as food, housing, and medical care as low monthly income is stretched across a number of financial demands. At times, there may not be enough to cover the needs of everyone in the home and provide sufficient care for the child as well. 
Housing is a pervasive problem for families with low income. As the largest budget item, housing costs are a considerable source of financial stress for families. With over 80% of families with low income spending more than 30% of their incomes on housing costs in 2005. The lack of affordable and safe housing contributes to the finding that housing is an important factor in prolonging children's stay in care. Inadequate housing was considered by Trockman colleagues as a significant risk factor, both for substantiation of neglect and placement in care. In a survey of family service workers, an urban child welfare agency found family housing to be a key factor in nearly one-fifth of cases that resulted in placement of a child into care. Housing is widely identified in the literature as a direct investment in family and child well-being, with research showing that high-quality housing in a safe neighborhood is a key element of children's well-being. Further, families with low income are more likely to occupy inadequate housing, characterized by safety hazards and physical insufficiencies, and to live in neighborhoods with fewer resources and limited services. Supporting families with specific housing problems may reduce the risk of child abuse and neglect, and may prevent some admissions to care. In a study by Cohen, the family's housing situation was a factor resulting in the placement of a child or children into care in 18% of the cases surveyed. Results in the broader literature consistently indicate a link between family financial stress and children's emotional and behavioral problems. Further, associations are also drawn between financial strain and lower cognitive skills among children. Results from multiple studies demonstrate strong support for the family investment theory. This theory suggests that parents' greater investments in housing will promote more successful children. The higher housing cost of buying a better quality home with fewer structural and maintenance issues combined with a better quality neighborhood with lower rates of poverty, predicted improvements in children's emotional and behavioral problems. By securing housing in a more desirable location, parents may be securing more desirable social resources as well, including higher quality education and positive role models. While access to safe and affordable housing will not immediately or inevitably reduce the number of admissions to out-of-home care, Housing support may reduce these admissions and can stabilize a family's living situation in ways that promote children's well-being and reduce economic strain for parents. Stress. Poverty may contribute to changes in parental mental health, parenting practices, or family dynamics that in turn can pose a threat to child safety and well-being. Children living in households with low incomes, and younger children in particular, experience more hardship when they live in neighborhoods with high housing costs. This pathway reflects the family stress theory, which asserts that limited economic resources provoke financial strain and difficulty acquiring basic family necessities. Families spending a greater proportion of their income on housing costs will experience a greater strain and increased likelihood of compromised parenting and impaired child functioning. Visibility and Surveillance Some aspects of economic instability may make certain families more visible to those with a professional duty to report child maltreatment. Literature examining the role of surveillance bias aims to look at whether receipt of assistance payments or housing instability may increase the likelihood that a family becomes known to child welfare services. While the evidence is varied, there are several predictors that remain consistent across studies. These predictors all relate to economic hardship, further solidifying that poverty is a known correlate of maltreatment and of neglect in particular. Of course, not all families living in poverty are at risk for child neglect. But this knowledge is a key piece in efforts to successfully identify those families who are at risk and to provide adequate supports for their children despite economic hardship. Rather than support the surveillance bias perspective and increasing scrutiny over families with low incomes, child welfare practitioners can work to use these points of observation as opportunities to identify the areas in need of support.
Child welfare practitioners are a key factor in the intersection between policy and practice and have the opportunity to advocate for children and families in need. For example, practitioners have the chance to critically engage with the situation, to consider the resources at hand, and to make potential links with community services to best support the economic and social needs of the family. Disproportionality in the experience of poverty. First Nations, Children, and Families. The disparity in First Nations and non-Aboriginal rates is quite pronounced. The primary category of maltreatment in substantiated investigations in the 2008 Canadian Incident Study was neglect, at a rate eight times higher among First Nations than non-Aboriginal children. This study further outlines the influence of environments characterized by chronic need. The overrepresentation of First Nations and Aboriginal children in the child welfare system is primarily due to the large number of cases of neglect associated with economic indicators, such as poverty and poor housing. The 2006 Canadian Census data indicate high unemployment among First Nations Aboriginal people, with rates reaching up to 25% for First Nations peoples living on reserve. Particular challenges regarding financial, voluntary sector, and community service supports are of concern for practitioners in more remote organizations. Black-White Placement Gap In a methodologically rigorous 2013 study, Woolton and colleagues compared the foster care placement rates between black children and white children in the United States, particularly interested in determining how black child poverty is related to black child placement. Acknowledging that this placement gap does in fact exist, the authors then examined where the disparity is the greatest and what role social and economic disadvantage may play. They concluded that social disadvantage is a very different phenomenon for white families and black families. In looking at the association between poverty and maltreatment, to disregard case factors such as race and ethnicity falsely simplifies a very complex lived experience and fails to account for the true variation and advantage for families and children with low incomes. While the Canadian social landscape may differ from that examined by Wolchin and colleagues, the importance of considering how these factors influence social and economic disparity is key. Rethinking supports for children and families with low income. The link between poverty and neglect is clearly and consistently identified throughout the literature and is a critical piece of evidence to support both prevention and intervention efforts for families living with low income. With rates of reported child abuse and neglect increasing nationwide, the importance of engaging child welfare-involved families in both agency and community-based supports cannot be understated. The following are services evaluated in the literature that support families living with low income in different ways. Importantly, the complexity of each case demands critical reflection on behalf of child welfare practitioners in assessing the entire family unit in order to best meet the needs of the child, including social, economic, cultural, and physical considerations. Increased Child Welfare Expenditures A major finding from the 2008 Canadian Incident Studies was that in substantiated neglect and confirmed risk investigations, the main source of household income was most likely to come from employment insurance or another financial benefit, and economic strain was a common theme for many families. In 27% of substantiated neglect and 24% of confirmed risk investigations, practitioners noted that the household regularly ran out of money for basic necessities. Knowing the association between poor economic status and child abuse and neglect outcomes, Malcolm examined the impact of changes in child welfare spending, from 1996 to 2002 in the United States. The key finding of this research was that increases in child welfare expenditures are strongly associated with lower child abuse rates. 
While Malcolm was unable to identify the specific mechanism by which this occurs, his theories are supported elsewhere in the literature and deserve consideration in the annual review of budgets to, at the very least, evaluate the impact of increasing and reducing spending in different aspects of the organization's work. Higher spending may result in better trained practitioners, which increases the likelihood of maltreatment detection. Increased spending on prevention efforts is a fairly self-explanatory means of reducing maltreatment, if, in fact, those prevention efforts are successful. Targeting child welfare spending to improve economic circumstances of child welfare-involved families may prove to be an effective means of reducing admissions for neglect. Examples of this could include child care, housing, and grocery vouchers. This strategy needs further examination with Canadian data, but presents an opportunity for child welfare practitioners to consider the evaluation of current programs and services to best understand the impact of their spending and how best to support children and families with low income and limited available resources. Parental employment. It is important for practitioners to remember that the relationship between poverty and child maltreatment is complicated by a number of social and economic factors. There is no causal role of income on parenting ability. In considering means of supporting families with low income, a common theme in the literature and mainstream discourse is the promotion of parental employment. Policymakers argue that parental employment, family income, and family structure all have significant implications for successful parenting suggesting that employed mothers make better parents than mothers on welfare. Particularly in welfare reform literature, the view that full-time employed parents should have higher incomes and that these higher incomes will lead to better parenting is quite prominent. This association drawn between a family's financial resources and parenting capability, however, is more complex than the above would suggest. Challenging the assumption that quickly transitioning parents to employment is always a top solution is a simple way for practitioners to advocate on behalf of impoverished parents. Health Promotion In focusing on promoting the health and well-being of children and families, the smaller everyday needs and expenses that accumulate as sources of stress for families in need may be slightly relieved. There is evidence in the literature that health-promoting behaviors on behalf of the caregiver increase the likelihood of an assessment of excellent health for their children. Supporting caregivers to engage in regular routines for mealtime, dental hygiene practices, and to childproof their homes will promote child and family health, but also reduce likelihood of neglect allegations. A key element of these services is their effects above and beyond the individual health improvements. There may be additional benefits to regularly engaging children and caregivers living with low income in health-promoting practices, including improved overall family health and stable housing. While broader structural change is clearly needed to reduce disparities in child health based on income, Child welfare practitioners can advocate and collaborate with other organizations, such as community-based health agencies, to reinforce developmentally appropriate health behaviors for children. Wrapping up, three key points to take from this podcast. Multiple factors are associated with an increased risk of both poverty and child maltreatment, which makes determining the causal role of income quite challenging. The exact mechanism by which poverty increases the likelihood of child abuse and neglect is not known. Rethinking supports for families with low income includes considering increased child welfare expenditures, health promotion, and parental employment. The link between poverty and neglect is a key piece of evidence to support both prevention and intervention efforts for families living with low incomes. The complexity of each case demands critical reflection by practitioners in assessing the entire family unit, including social, economic, cultural, and physical factors.
Think critically about what you just learned. In your experience, what challenges do caregivers with low income face in supporting their children? In what ways does your organization strive to support caregivers with low income in providing safe and healthy homes for their children? Think about the family investment and family stress theories described in this podcast. How do they relate to your experience with child neglect among families with low income? You have been listening to the ParkCast series, episode 26, Poverty Among Families Involved with Child Welfare. At parkcanada.org, you can read part two of the literature review on this topic, Strategies and Recommendations for Child Welfare Practitioners Working with Families with Low Income. Here we look at examples of resource-based supports and programs that aim to reduce the risk of maltreatment and neglect and to promote reunification among families involved with child welfare. The ParkCast series is produced by Practice and Research Together, membership-based organization that promotes the understanding and use of evidence-informed practice at all levels of the child welfare system. For more information about and additional resources on this episode's topic, the ParkCast series, or Practice and Research Together, please visit www.parkcanada.org. Stay up to date by following us on Twitter at PartEIP. That's P-A-R-T-E-I-P. 